It's time to go under the hood with the Indy Fuel. Here are your hosts, Brent Hollerud and Andrew Smith. And welcome to episode 8 of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. With me is my co-host, Brent Hollerud, the Fuel's Director of Marketing. We're joined today as well by the Indy Fuel's athletic trainer, George Bullock, and we will uh, have a chance to chat with George here in just a little bit. But uh, first of all, Brent, the Fuel right there in playoff position, right in the mix in the Central Division as they're in the midst of a long stretch of games where they play eight of nine on the road, popping back here at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum for a big night on Friday night, February 8th against the Kalamazoo Wings, and then it's back to a five-game road trip. So really a critical part of the schedule, and the Fuel have largely held serve in uh, this little stretch of uh, road games and are putting themselves in a position where they can hit the ground running as we hit the home stretch of the season. And I think we talked about how important this stretch of games was uh, the last time we chatted, and it's just kind of a strange part of the season where you have a, a December and a January game schedule where we felt like we never left our own building. I think we had um, 15, 16 home games over the two-month span there. And now with uh, this game Friday, it's the only home game the Fuel will play in a, a span of 23 days. Um, so after kind of... Ha- being enjoying your home cooking for a while, we're finally getting the chance to, um, or getting the challenge of visiting some hostile buildings, and um, they just played two in a row in Kalamazoo, and there's a big uh, um, two-game set this weekend at the Huntington Center against Toledo. Um, so it, it's not an easy task for any team to, to undertake, but um, looking at where the fuel are at, um, they're still right in the mix. Uh, it's definitely bottled up a little more with, with Kalamazoo and we'll talk more about them in just a bit. Um, they're red hot right now. They've surged right back into play and with, with their two wins um, are we're in the middle are one game left of the four games between the fuel and wings over the last three weeks. And um, the fuel will look to look for a split with that um, on Friday night. Um, but yeah, they, they've won six of the last seven and they're, they're right back in the mix tied with Fort Wayne and um, one back of the fuel. So, um, and we've, we've said it every time we've, we've come on this podcast, the central division is going to be, um, an absolute battle until the, the last weekend of the season. So it should be of no surprise that uh, we got all the teams bunched up the way they are right now. And, um, every game is just critical when you, you're getting a chance to not only get two points for yourself, but steal two points from your opponents. And, um, this is where you're really hoping not only win, but you want to win in regulation too. So, Absolutely. but, um, it's always, so it's, it's definitely a huge test this weekend with, uh, um, the four games and five nights and the three and three here. Um, so, um, you, you come out on the short end of this, the situation on Wednesday in Kalamazoo. So you're looking, you want a perfect situation. You, you win all three and you, you win the week. Cause that's talking to Bernie John. That's been the key, with this team going through kind of the dog days of the season is you want to win every week. If you got three games, you want to win two of three, you got three games, you want to win three of four. And if you keep winning each um, consecutive week, you're going to put yourself in a good position. So the fuel are going into this weekend, they're own one for the week. So um, you want to be able to win all three. That's a perfect situation, but realistically you want to try to way to win two of the three and end with a two and two split out of this four game week. And, then you uh, 
have another test waiting for you next week with a couple games against Cincinnati. And um, so it, it doesn't get any easier, but that's just kind of the nature of the beast in the Central Division. Yeah, and look at who's playing well right now. Logan Nelson, we knew that he was going to break out at some point uh, as he just got a little bit healthier and and really got into the uh, the season. And right now, in the midst of a 10-game scoring streak, uh, he's too shy of the team record that was set by Robin Press last year. And uh, he's been a nice fit on right wing with the Ruperts. And then Kevin Dufour has been uh, pretty hot as well, seven game-winning goals. And he is now, he and Josh Shala, Matt Rupert, all three of them, knocking on the door of that 20-goal mark as uh, DeFore's got 19, Shala and Rupert have 18 entering the weekend. And so uh, those guys playing some pretty good hockey as well. And once again, we keep talking about this team's depth, nine players right now with double-digit goals. Well, and you're looking, I mean, we've talked so many times here about how how the forward depth and the scoring depth in this team is going to be what takes them to the next level. And they've, they've shown, or they continuously shown that that is the strength of this hockey team is you have Ryan Rupert's already passed the 40 point plateau. You got Josh shallow, just a couple points shy of it. You have four players with over 30 points. And then you're looking de- further down the lineup. You got um, almost 10 players with over 20 points here. And, uh, a couple of those players, you look at, you got an Olivier LaBelle who, who's been banged up and on the shelf for the last month or so. He's still almost a point of game player when he's healthy. So you get some of these pieces back, like that's even more offensive depth you have going for you. And, um, talking more about Logan Nelson, um, it's, it's easy to remember that it's, or you almost look at him and say that you see he's got, um, only 24 points in, over the course of the whole season, you think that might be a little low. You you forget that he, he had a season-ending injury. He's been rehabbing all summer. So he really, like you mentioned, he's just kind of coming into his own and finally getting back to 100% over the last couple months. And and you can tell when, when he hits a stride that he's definitely someone you want um, on your team and not the opponent's team. But um, you're going to – for this team to remain to be successful – um, they need to keep getting that contribution throughout the lineup, and when this team's playing well, that's that's kind of what you're looking for is the contributions through all the forward lines. You have your guys from Rockford coming down and contributing. I mean, Matheson Acapelli, he doesn't have any goals yet, but in each game he's played, he looks like he, he could score at any moment. His skill is just that. He, he plays at such a high level, so it's... You saw what he did last year, scoring nine goals in ten games, so you know he can break out at any moment. So um, the field are definitely looking for um, him to kind of catch his spark this weekend. Well, And you look at a little bit of news. Acapelli back from Rockford. Three defensemen have been added to the roster. Sam Tebow came in a three-way trade from Toledo via Atlanta, and he is on the fuels back end. He had an assist in his first game with Indy. Zane Schartz came uh, from Norfolk, and then also um, the Fuel adding another defenseman from the uh, Southern Professional Hockey League this week as well in uh, Schmitz. So some new faces on this team as uh, Coach Bernie John kind of looks to shore up that blue line that's been hit a little bit by injuries and call-ups this year and uh, get that group of six that uh, really works well together. And uh, I've added a couple of key pieces that, could be uh, could be really critical going forward. Yeah, and it's just 
having a little bit of, of depth in the lineup and having a few extra bodies is going to be huge for this team because it seemed like there was a good or several weeks that you look at the lineup and there's only six healthy bodies and if you have any anybody gets hurt during the game or banged up, then all of a sudden you might be playing for five, with 5D for, for a couple games unless you can find someone else. So um, it's definitely nice to have um, you have people you can slide in and out of the lineup in certain areas if, if guys need rest or if you're in a, a stretch where you're playing four games in five nights like they're doing this week. Um, and then, obviously, when you get when those pieces come back and you get a Miles Liberati back in the lineup or you get a Josh McCardle coming down from Rockford who he scored again this week, so who knows if that will happen. He's playing extremely well up in Rockford. But, um, yeah, it's definitely nice to to have more bodies than you need rather than scrambling to, to fill a full roster, which coaches find themselves doing in this league all the time. One other piece of news is that Matt Tompkins was named the ECHL's runner-up for the goaltender of the month in January. In the month of January, he had uh, five wins, two losses, three overtime and shootout losses, 5-2-3, and three, 2.48 goals against, 924 save percentage, and the Fuel's first shutout in two seasons. Yeah, he's been just continuously growing in front of our eyes and just every every time he's out there he he seems to get more confident more in control of his game and um it's it's been a lot of fun to watch and um the shutout was a, a huge night you could tell it was a huge compl- or accomplishment for him to get that one out, out of the way after coming close a few times this season um and it's definitely nice uh with with Gordon Dayfell in the lineup to you're going to probably see them start to kind of share the share the load a little bit when you're getting into more of the um when you have these weeks like this when you're playing so much hockey in a short period of time but um Tompkins is a guy who anytime you put him in there you're giving your team a chance to win and that's really all you can ask from your goaltender well we're uh, thrilled to be joined on this edition of the podcast by George Bullock Jr. the Fuels athletic trainer and we talk about the guys as we're in the dog days of the season. This is somebody that's working with them every day, keeping them fresh, keeping their, their bodies healthy and uh, helping, uh, helping them be in uh, the best shape possible to be on the ice. And uh, we're, we're thrilled to have him with us. But recently uh, you reached a milestone with 1500 games in 23 seasons of professional hockey. And how special is it? to uh, to reach that milestone and also to have been honored pregame uh, by the team and allow the the fans and your the players to get a chance to recognize the accomplishment. Well, first I want to thank you both guys for having me. Um it was huge. Uh 1500 games is is you know that's 23 years of work. That's my entire uh resume if you will in the minor professional hockey and it's uh it was it was Special to get a thousand, um, but like fifteen hundred is there, and like that, I'm now I'm looking for the next one, which is going to be two thousand or twenty five hundred. You know what I mean? But it's just, and to have my family here, it was good. It was really good to have them because when I had my thousand, I can't remember when it was, but I was in Shreveport in the Central League, and we actually were in Memphis on the road, and we lost that game too. But uh, uh, the, we had something back at home at Shreveport for me and the girls were really little and they didn't know what was going on, but to have them out there on the ice with me, was great. And you've been, you mentioned in hockey for 23 years, you've been with the fuel since the beginning. What, uh, 
what brought you to Indy and uh, brought you to this franchise and allowed you to be a part of it? Um, it's uh, it's the world of hockey itself. Uh, I had started my career in Louisville, Kentucky, in the ECHL, in the coast. With the River Frogs. Correct. Back and, when it was actually still the coast. Yes, when, not, it was, when it was, we you, either called it the coast or, you know, it wasn't the East. It's not the East Coast Hockey League anymore, just FYI. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then after that, I went to Wichita for five in the, the Central League. And then to Greensboro for a year in 0102, back in the ECHL or East Coast Hockey League. And then nine years in Shreveport in the Central League. And then two years in Bakersfield in the ECHL, which was the true ECHL because it was the merger of the West Coast Hockey League. And this and is East. where I feel mentioning the Bakersfield stint. Um, I know we, I think we tried to hide the picture somewhere in the, the tribute graph. It was there. Those, I saw it now. Very yeah, good. For, for those who aren't aware, it's my, one of my top three favorite videos on YouTube, uh, on YouTube of all time. Just have to, you have the, to just the Google Bakersfield Condor. Yeah. Just Google Condor goes crazy and you'll see <laughs> You're it. Watching that video. I mean, everyone, hockey fans have probably seen the video where, I mean, Bakersfield, that's their MO. They do wild. They were the first minor league team to go over the top be that or kind of have that mo or they do whatever to yeah. get people through the gates to, i think they do it they still to this day do it better than a lot of teams so they brought the live condor on the ice to chip out a niche in the high desert in california mm-hmm. like that and to be successful as long as it, it it all goes to their gm Honestly, he is unbelievable like and the, and the ownership groups they've had with them just to be able to let them do that little bit of extra crazy, and it's mm-hmm. it's it was great to be. They part built of. a name for it, yes, and they, they still absolutely. to this day are. I think they're they're the trend. Are they the standard setters for absolutely. the wild and crazy minor leagues? Mm-hmm. But the Condor, they bring a live giant. I mean, it, it must have been bigger in real life than mm-hmm. it looked on on video. The rest is history. The Condor runs away from his uh, owner. The owner falls, breaks three ribs or something. Falls on the bird. Falls on the bird. The bird makes a beeline for the Condor's bench, jumps onto the bench, and when you're watching this video, the the announcers are almost beside them, beside themselves laughing, and you're just staring this beast in the face. Don't even flinch when it jumps <laughs> on it. I should say so. It's incredible if you haven't if you've seen the video, watch it again. See George. If you haven't seen the video, you need to fix that right well, now. The, but the, the funniest part of it all was like you could see this kind of. Coming together, they had come out and done a practice run after morning skate, so the rough, the ice was rough, and the ice was not rough for that. And he lost his footing and fell on the bird, and the bird got spooked. And I'm just standing there, and I'm like, "Boys, it's going to jump on the dasher." And sure enough, it was trying to get to the highest point in the in the mm-hmm, building, right? Mm-hmm. So it jumped on the dasher, and it, once it got that far, it was like, "Well, there's the mezzanine." And it, obviously, birds can't see glass. Mm-hmm. So it took off and hit the back of the glass and then dropped right on my coach, Matt Odette's back. Dug in, he freaked out and it ran down into the, into the, uh, down the tunnel into the, in the locker room. It was, it was just unbelievable. Like it's just one more thing, one more slap shot esque thing that happened in my career. You know what I mean? But the f- best part, I guess you could say was a day later, we're in a BJ's in Stockton and it's on, sports center <laughs> and it's like the the waitress is like to all of us at the table because it was myself coaching staff and then uh equipment manager and the radio guy and it's like is that 
Is that you? Like, yeah, that's us. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to forget about yeah. that. Becoming but. local celebrities in somewhat, uh, yeah, in, in Northern California, or yeah. yeah, in California, yeah. So that's, and that's the, the thing when you've been around the sport and now you're seeing people who are involved in coaching in the front office who are people who have played while you've been working. Obviously, Bernie John, uh, the Fuels coach was playing for the Indianapolis Ice and elsewhere in the Central League when you were working in the CHL. How interesting has that been to see people move from uh, someone you've seen as a player, maybe even gotten to know as a player, to now uh, seeing them in different realms in the hockey world? It's almost like it's uh, a natural progression for some guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, to back to your point, Bernie was on the, um, the All-Star game played in the all-star game that I worked that I won well, my coach won the chance to in Albuquerque. And he was named, he was the captain of that team in Albuquerque for the, and that's how far back Bernie and I go, even though we just knew each other across the boards mm-hmm. as it were throughout the ice days. Um, other good examples are like Dylan Clark. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He, now he's an assistant with wheeling. And that was a kid that you could see had, there's guys that get it. And they're there and they're good in the room and they can read a room. And then that helps them be a better assistant coach, be a better coach so that they can play good cop, bad cop if they have to type of thing. But to, and the only thing I haven't done yet is I have not had the son of a player. Close. If we were in the Rochester system a couple of years ago, I would have had uh, Tyler Plant, mm-hmm. which was one of, which was Cam Plant's son. He has two sons. And the one goalie, there's one that's a goalie and there's one that's not that plays overseas. And then, uh, actually, I think Jones that plays for Cincinnati, if he's the son of Brad Jones. I believe he's the son of Doug Jones. Oh, Doug played Jones. in Fort Wayne. Okay. And a few other places as well. But yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, there's always that chance mm-hmm. that there was a, there's a, a son of a, of a player. And that's when I know I'm going to, that's when I'm really going to be old is when I have that, that son come along and said, yeah, I had your dad and I'd have to go back to, I had your dad in Wichita, I had your dad mm-hmm. in Louisville, something like that. Yeah, what's, uh, what was the attraction of hockey? You grew up in, in New York State and uh, went to went to a small college, Guilford College, right? What Correct. was the What was the attraction? What brought you to uh, the sport of hockey and working in hockey? Um, I think what it was is there was, at that time, no outdoor pro lacrosse for me to turn to because mm-hmm. I played lacrosse in, in undergrad. Um, I did not, I wasn't aware, unfortunately, about box lacrosse and everything like the Rochester Nighthawks and all that kind of stuff. So I was down south and I was just like, and I knew that collegiately and football just wasn't for me. And I was a big hockey fan since birth type of thing. And uh, it was just one of those things where it equates well. It's a team sport. Mm-hmm. They're blue collar guys that all come together you know, lacrosse players and hockey players are all the same. All like you go in the room and how many guys did play lacrosse, like shells played lacrosse and, and stuff like that. And, and it's the same thing. And it's just, it was just something that drew me to it. And then when I was able to go to Springfield in Massachusetts for my graduate work and get on with the team, I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. And it was, you know, it was that epiphany that, that, that moment where I was like, yep, I definitely want to stick with this. So, what is it? Uh, what is it like, especially this time of year? Because we we talk about this being the dog days of the season. We're forty five or so games into the year now. This is a physical sport. 
guys have a lot of bumps. They've got a lot of bruisers. How do you keep them, uh, keep them active, keep them in the top shape and kind of mend what, uh, help them mend what kind of bumps that they have? It's a, it's a lot of working with the coaching staff to try to get as many, I guess you want to call them active days off, get, let them have a, let them, if they want to skate, give them an optional type of thing. But, mm-hmm. but uh, there's sometimes when it's just like, I have to go in and say, today's veterans day. And if you're older than, if you have this many games played, then you really don't need to go on and the, let the young guys go out and practice and get everything done because you know that that older player is going to do what he's going to do. He's going to come ready to play. It's the younger guys. And like, so look at it that way. Yes, we're at game 45 now. Look at anyone that played collegiately, their season's been done for nine games. Mm-hmm. So you hit those guys, hit the wall, those collegiate guys that hit the wall, even if they went to playoffs, even with all the way to frozen four, like they're like done. And they're, they now they have to get over that hump and they have to play. Now, hey, guess what? 36 games, there's 36 more. Let's go. And just giving them time as best as we can here and there, just giving some spot taking them off the ice, giving them a day here, a day there. Um, the biggest thing is, like, we were hit pretty hard with, like, a cold went through the room, believe it or not. You know what I mean? We got flu shots, but it was just – it went from one guy to the next guy, and you just see it going, and you're just like, oh, so let's try to have everyone get proactive here. Mm-hmm. Eat right, get your rest. Get If we have to take some extra rest, let's get some rest. Get the, you know, get the vitamin C in you and stuff like that. So it's, it's a – it's not – it's not like a sit back and wind it up and let it go. It's it's you're always tending to it. So you mentioned the importance of managing rest and over the course of a, a 25 week season, that's so important. But when does that process really start? Do you get we we're lucky enough the ECHL gets the schedule so much earlier than say the AHL or even the NHL. I think we'll be usually the schedule comes out in early May June. How early after that schedule comes out are you guys looking at, okay, we're playing five games in a, a seven-day stretch in this week in February, so building your, your rest days here, or is it more of just kind of you take it on a week-by-week basis? See I think even a month-by-month, month, even a month-by-month. Month, but, yeah, because obviously that early you're not 100% sure. What if there's a game change that then involves travel and mm-hmm. a day that you thought was going to be a day off is now a travel day? You know what I mean? Be it flying or being at busing or whatever it happens to be. That's kind of what you have to deal with. I think just the receptiveness of uh, Coach Bernie and, and Coach Ryan is just that they, all right, well, who needs, you know, who needs a rest? Who 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 can who should go out there and who doesn't really need to type of thing? Um, but, yeah, you want to try to build them in as best you can. You put that, you make that schedule and you put that day off, but then, what if, you know, you like we had to change everything. On a, we on had, we had days built in for Christmas. We had days built in for the all-star game. And there were some guys that were here because I had to get guys back from concussions and stuff like that. So we're on the ice. We're doing our, either our dry land testing for concussion testing or on ice testing. And we were here to do that so they could play when we came out of that break. You know what I mean? Now, I think a lot of our fans are, there's probably some fans out there who they, they see the athletic trainers when someone goes down during a game. You're the one running out to check on them. You're the one leaving the ice with them. But they might not know what goes on Monday through Friday before the games happen. <laughs> kind of take us, without divulging too many juicy details. Industry secrets? Yeah. What is like an average game or average week or 
just from a day by day basis look look like for you and the rest of your crew back there? I mean, it's every actually every day is pretty much the same. Just things change at four o'clock. Either you go home or you start up for the game. You know what I mean? Like it's you're done with your day because you were there at seven thirty. Turn the coffee pot on. You set the laundry out. You make sure you make the juice and water. Make sure it's everything. You set the bench, and then guys come in. You start to do treatments. You see what kind of wounds you're licking from the night before, or who's good to go. Uh, you're checking on this guy, checking on that guy. A guy called. They've all been told. You know, as early as you can, let me know if you're getting sick, so I don't bring you in. Stay away. Keep the rest of the room healthy, and we'll deal with it type of thing. Then at 4 o'clock on a game day, we're back up again. We're setting up the visitors. We're setting up the benches for the game. Players show up. Treatment happens again. They get ready. They do their dynamic. They play soccer. Warm-ups happen, and the game happens. I think a lot of uh, one of the biggest misnomers is that when the game, when the puck drops, that's when I, my rest starts because everything else was going on behind the scenes. It was all... Like a duck, you know, feet going below the water, but all calm on top. But then, so when I get a chance and the puck drops, and all I have to do is run the watch, stopwatch, everything should happen. The puck dropped because everything else is done. But then, then you're ready to jump to the next level. Something happens, a guy goes down, you need to call paramedics out or check on another, an opposing player goes down, you step out of the way. Does that other trainer need help? Or are they okay? Do they need a doctor in the back? Do they need a doctor on the ice? that kind of stuff. And so you're always kind of keeping an eye, not just on what they're doing, but for example, if it is an opposing player, you check with their trainer, but you also kind of have to keep your eyes and ears open in case that player needs help and uh, whatever assistance you can provide. Yeah. It's, you know, professional courtesy type of thing is mm-hmm. uh, I always talk to the newer trainers in the league, but all the older ones know me. And it's like, if you have to take your guy back, go. I'll watch both benches. I'll watch the mm-hmm. ice. And then I always get the, make eye contact with their equipment manager and say, look, if something happens, you just go first and I'll be out. But if it's bad, I'm going. And they mm-hmm. all, they all know that. And it's, it's the same. If I'm going, even in my barn, if I'm going back in, they know they're going to watch the ice on both sides of the mm-hmm. puck for that, for that little bit of time that I'm not on the, on the bench. So what is the, we kind of talked about a typical day, a typical week, typical game day. You've got a number of college interns as well. And obviously you had the opportunity at Springfield to work with the the American Hockey League team there when you were in college. What does it mean to you to be able to work with, uh, work with some other people starting out in the profession and kind of help pass the torch? Um, it's, it's great because, you know, I wanted to – the, the funny thing about the Springfield thing is that it didn't, it, it existed, but just for me at that time, because I think, I truly think that I was the one that they never had a real deal where the kids went from Springfield and got a grade and did all that kind of stuff. That didn't happen until way after me. And oddly enough, two guys that followed me at Springfield College both became the head trainer for Springfield after they had gone through Springfield College and interned in that way. But it's just, the, it is, it's the passing of the torch. It's that little, um, <clears throat> the life lessons. It's not just work. It's not just, you know, being an athlete trainer. It's doing everything like work smarter, not harder, that kind of thing. Um, you know, be, you know, be a good person, be, be highly high communication. That's one of my biggest things is 
be on, no matter whether you're a high school trainer, talking to a football coach, the wrestling coach, the tennis coach, they want to know where their best player is, if he's hurt or whatever's going on, and they mm-hmm. want to know everything. So you better make sure they know first or they're going to be in your business, you know, always like, what's why is this guy going? What's going on here? So if you give them that, it stops a whole lot of other conversations that could go in a bad way where that coach is now pissed at you. He's bringing in the AD, and now you're having to have this conversation where you should be treating athletes rather than having a, you know, and watching practice and that kind of stuff. And when you're not at the rink, especially after hockey season's over, you do occasionally assist with some high schools that Community Health Network is uh, contracted with. Mm-hmm. And so you get a chance to see that at that level as well. Yeah, I mean, I've been in my first couple of years. It was funny that my first year, my second year, I was out at New Pal. I was helping with football, but then I also helped after. Everything was said and done. I think it was the end of baseball, the end mm-hmm. of, of softball, because that athletic trainer decided to get married. I don't know what athletic trainer decides <laughs> to get married in June, but it's not a smart move. But anyway, and then uh, there was some preseason football this mm-hmm. year to help the trainer that's out there now um, and just other various things. But I also am still fully employed, if you will, by the team because if there's any guys on work comp in the summer, I'm tracking them, mm-hmm. making sure they're doing their rehab, be it here locally or at home, making sure those reports are coming back, making doctors, excuse me, doctor's appointments um, for them, going to that so we can get them cleared and get them back and get them healthy for the best. Your best example would be of late is Logan Nelson. He was here for a while. He was here through like the six weeks mark of post-surgical, checking in with doc, doing some small, but then he was, once he was able to get going, actually took his, his arm out of the sling, he would go, he'd go home. He went home, did his work up there. I get the reports. We set up appointments every six weeks or so. He'd come back. We'd meet, go see the doc, get more clearance, more clearance. And then before you know it, he's right back. So, Yeah, sports are a relationship business. And that's we see people performing on the ice. Though, and that's what the five, 6,000 fans in the stands, wherever you are, that's what they see. And they may see a hockey player, whereas behind the scenes, you really get to know these guys, coaches, players, other personnel, both on your team's bench and on the opposing team's bench on occasion. You really get to know them as people. How special is it to, over time, be able to build relationships and get to know some of these guys outside of the rink? It's, it's, I mean, for 23 years of it, it's great. Some of of my better friends and have been because of the business and be it a player, an old equipment manager, an old trainer from another team somewhere, an old assistant coach, or even a coach. Um, Interesting. We were in Utah and we were walking out of the oval because we just went up there to see what was up. And as we walked by, I recognized this coach and I was like, that's coach McClellan from Wichita days. And it wasn't until like he passed and I turned around and he had his name bag on his bag. I was like, it is coach McClellan. I was like, Hey, coach McClellan. It's like, Hey, this is George. I worked against you when I was in Shreveport and this is coach John. And he goes, yeah, mm-hmm. I was in Wichita and all that kind of stuff. It's just that kind of thing. Just to, and then he was on to have practice and we were off. Um, like I still will get texts from players from my Shreveport days, from my Greensboro days, you know what I mean? And even some of my Wichita days, like especially when the 1500 came along, I got a couple of, either be it on Facebook or be it on, in text that they were, you know, reaching out to me and that kind of stuff. It's it's really nice and it's 
the other part of it is the staff you have and then their kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like a really good is Cam Plant. He was my player, and his kids were uh, five and six and eight back when we were in Wichita. And now they're men, grown up, playing in the NHL. And I'd played in the NHL. Now they're still playing hockey. I'm, you know, uh, the my my equipment manager from Shreveport. His kids, his son was born while I was there. And now he's about to graduate from high school. You know what I mean? And it's. I see it that way, but I know that other people that I work with in the business see it my way too. They knew when I didn't have kids and they knew when I had small babies. Now I have, you know, grade seven and grade five, that kind of thing, aged kids. And they're like, where does it all go to? You know, where is it all gone? Like, like I can still, I still get texts on a, on a monthly basis. One of my old goalies that lives in the Dallas area and he works for the Dr. Pepper star centers out there. And, and he moved from Shreveport out there and like, just out of the blue, you never know. He might be driving along and hear a song on the radio, and he ends up texting me and stuff like that. It's, it's the relationships that you really have made for your life. You know what I mean? You know, the one thing I've heard a lot of the players say, they really like the atmosphere in the room of this team. That they really seem to get along well. And as somebody who's in the room a lot, getting to know these guys, working with them on a one-on-one basis. How much does it help to have a team of guys that really seems to like each other? And does that translate to performance on the ice? I think it does sometimes. I, I think, but to answer the first part of your question is like the reason that trainers are embedded with these teams is be, so that I know their personalities. Mm-hmm. Because if they get dinged, especially in the head or something like that, the doctor isn't going to know if they're acting weird. I know because I'm going to say, nope, this is normal. He may be off the wall, but this is normal or this is not normal. So, you know what I mean? So we have that kind of relationship with the player. Um, but it is really nice to have a kind of a room that isn't divided, isn't kind of clicky, isn't kind of have a bunch of riffs in it and stuff like that. Now, does it always equate to success? nine times out of 10, you know, mm-hmm. there's, it's been said and there's been teams where you, I don't have to like you, but we're teammates and we're going to go out and win. You know what I mean? I may not, I may not like you or the way you, whatever way you drive the rink or the suits you wear or whatever it is, but you play and you play hard, you bring it every night and I'm going to play for you. And we're going to go win this thing type of thing. So uh, you mentioned as well, you've got a couple of uh, young kids about the same ages as mine. And with the travel, yeah, I, you're gone a lot, especially uh, this coming week. You've got uh, back-to-back in Toledo and then a quick trip to Cincinnati, and then it's a couple of nights in Wichita. How difficult can the travel be, and obviously for you and obviously everybody else as well, but how difficult can that travel be during the season? It's At this point, it is it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And luckily, my wife completely understands. Like She met me when I was in Wichita working as this. So she knew what she was getting into. And then as the birth of our children came in, she knew what she was getting into. Like, does she like it? Not necessarily. However, she knows what, you know, what butters her bread type mm-hmm. of thing. You know what I mean? Um, she might have, she might've had, you know, really nice new, uh, new year's plans, but they got dashed by a coach. You know what I mean? But because he wanted to leave, before because we played on the second and so we're mm-hmm. leaving on the first and every guy has to get in bed or get on the bus right after new year's new year's eve type of thing um but 
that's and I, I'm glad you said that because that's going back to what am I instilling in these student trainers that come out here? That's what I'm instilling. It's mm-hmm. the work ethic, but it's also you better be pretty sure who you're gonna marry. You know what I mean? And that they're okay with what you do. Don't hide it. Let them know that this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. But, hey, if they get a better job, then I can always go be Mr. Mom, too. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But if this is an athlete trainer, this is my hours. It's 2 to 9, Monday through Sunday, you know, at the high school level. And it's mm-hmm. different, which is good because, you know, we don't have Thanksgiving. Well, we do. But we don't have Christmas. We don't have – we have 4th of July and stuff like that. And that's when I'm at home. And all summer, and that's when I mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So you, it's it's a give and take. It's you know, okay, I'm I have to leave Christmas Eve or Christmas Day for a Boxing Day game. That's the way it is this year. Or hey, guess what? We're home for New Year's Eve this year. Great, let's do something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's always how this how the schedule plays out. But having someone on your significant other that understands what you do and and that's and they buy into it. You take the opportunities where they come. Exactly. exactly. That's been, uh, and I think any of us who work in, in sports, we're used to that. And uh, we take the opportunities to enjoy those things when they come. And sometimes Thanksgiving has to happen on a Wednesday. Or uh, yeah. sometimes oh. it happens on a Sunday when you come back. It's just the reality of uh, of the business because we are all in the entertainment business. Yeah, and, and I, I want to say that before, yeah. too. We, I said that many, many years ago. Uh, we are in the sports entertainment. Like the epitome of sports entertainment is the WWE, but we are all in sports entertainment because people are coming to see something, to see a product, to see a good product. Well, it better be good. And everyone in the back, everyone behind the scenes, everyone wearing black, everyone behind the curtain had better do their job so that it's so when that puck drops at seven oh five or seven thirty five, it's the best they're going to see. How has athletic training and sports medicine changed in the 23 years you've been involved in hockey? Um, I think one of the biggest things was starting out is like we used to not be able to diagnose, and I don't think we really still can, but we can give a differential diagnosis. We can mm-hmm. come to a point where we can you know, let the doc look at it, but it's also I think it's this or this, and which, which direction do you want to go? Um, a lot of my preparation was emergency type medicine stuff on ice response mm-hmm. where now with the curriculum it's a it's a wide swath there is rehab there is nutrition there is um, pharmacology there is sports um, psychology a lot more because again you're in the room and you know this guy if you don't think he's right for some reason or another you got to say hey do we need to go talk to somebody do we need to because I see myself as the gateway to the med- to the medical world. I am the triage mm-hmm. specialist. What do you need? It's a wrist. That's easy. It's a knee. We're going here. It's your head. Okay, we're going neuropsych. It's inside your head. Let's go get psych or let's go get, you know what I mean? It's it's That's the whole, we need to give them the, the complete package of, of health care so that these players can perform at their best. Seems like in the last few years, there's been a greater emphasis on nutrition and players are really focusing on that and kind of keeping their bodies in good shape year round. And we've heard the stories of 30, 40 years ago that training camp was for uh, to get in shape, to get in shape. And now training camps to get ready for the season because you've been getting in shape all summer. Have the players changed in, 
in the last 20 years as they are more mindful of that? Yes. Yeah. And even when I started back in the early days in Wichita, training camp was when you got in shape, you know, and, and with the summer, you know, you're not going to get rich playing in the, in the coast. You know what I mean? So they have other jobs and they might not be able to skate every day. They might not be able mm-hmm. to work out every day, but they are seeing that this is, they need to do this now to be competitive, to have that edge, to come to camp ready. And it's not a, it's not the time to get ready. You should come ready, step on the ice and go and then earn your spot. And on that note, like we've seen in the last few years, there's players that you, you sign in the off season and you're kind of, when you're putting the team together on paper, you, you think, okay, this player is going to be one of your, your top players. And they show up to camp, not ready, not maybe um, out of shape, like few 15 or a dozen pounds over their playing weight. And next thing you know, they, their stay doesn't last very long. And on the con- the inverse side of that, you have guys who you might not expect much coming or yep. going into camp. And then they, they show up, they're ready to go. They're in they're, shape. They're in shape, and they turn some heads in training camp, and they become a, an integral part of your team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's you know, and but the, the other thing too is you got to realize that not every hockey player is a chiseled Adonis. Mm-hmm. There are guys out there that are built like milk bags, but they still can play. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they they can they can dangle a pork chop out of a Rottweiler's mouth while they're in a phone booth. You know what I mean? But it's just like, they, they're, they're not pretty to look at, but they're great. You know, they're good players and they're, they got hockey sense. They got all that kind of stuff. And it's, and it, it's the whole package that brings in. And that all goes back into what you're saying of needing to learn the player, both. It takes a few weeks to learn what their, their uh, physical habits are, what their nutrition habits are, what, Maybe like kind of, and that this goes both for like coaching staff and for the the training staff. Under what conditions do the player like what what do they thrive in? Are they good when they're they're practicing all the time, or do they need some extra rest? So it's really kind of imagine each season. You, how long does that process take to kind of like get a gauge on on the guys you have? I in think the room you can and, see that within the first month, month and a half. You really, I I know my guy. I know my guys that have to keep the oil out of the pan. You know what I mean? Like they got to just come in and do something. You get on the ice, even if you go in in a track suit, you know, and go out. Just get keep the oil out of the pan. And there's other guys that like, yeah, let's go take two days and just do a spa day. You know, let's go do, let's go take a Schwitz and that's it. You know what I mean? That's all they really need. Ride the bike, get a sweat, and let's go. But, yeah, there's there's a couple of those guys that I see that, and it's usually my older guys. Like I love to give my vets as much time as they can but there are some that's like three days was too much two days rest now let's get get it back in get back on the ice let's get going type of thing so unless they're really really banged up i know andrew and i talked in a a previous episode where this season we talked about how the chemistry just seems so much better and one part of that is there just hasn't been as much turnover on the roster this year than in years past and i think back to two years ago where I think it went through 64 guys over the course of the season. And obviously it's easy to tell. Are you from counting the, from the beginning? Because I think that year was like 75. If you count the 64 that came in and out plus the 18 that stayed, yeah, I, I ran out of uh, blue medical folders that year. So, so obviously like, it's it's one – it's you can tell it's probably hard enough for – I mean, I can speak. It was, it was tough on a media relations standpoint, just constantly keeping track of everyone's go, coming in and out. On the player side, you got guys who've been there all year 
trying to play with all these different players coming through. It's tough for the coaches because they have to be constantly filling holes and there were tons of injuries that year and constantly tinkering to find that, that balance. But for you, how, how big of a challenge is it when you have that volume of players? And then on the other hand, when you got something or a situation like the last couple of years where you're able to kind of build a core of players who you have, you've had Matt Rufer for, or, Matt Rupert for three years now. We have Misco has been here for four. Shal has been here for parts of three years. You have this core of guys where you know inside and out. You know what makes them tick. How much easier does that make your job when you have that established core and you're just kind of learning a few new faces here and there instead of churning the entire roster in and out over the course of the season? I mean, you did. You said you hit the nail on the head. It is easier. It is. I mean, it does make my job that little bit easier, but there are – the best part about hockey, hockey is universal. You mm-hmm. can take a guy who played in Europe and drop him in the middle of the room, and by the end of the day, they're all fast friends. And you know what I mean? It's the same. It's all spoken. It doesn't matter if it's Czech or Russian or French or whatever, German or English or, you know, or a First Nations language. They're all going to play hockey. They understand the dynamics of the game, and they're just going to go. And then, then the rest of it will weed itself out um but it's just like yeah to have to know shells to know misco and Mm -hmm. his laundry list of of issues and (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know like i said he he even puts it on when he does his when he did his physical this year it was just like you know here what's your what's your injury history and he just wrote george knows (laughs) (laughs) i mean just looking at this this season um alone you've had to You've had a hospital visit with him in uh, Kalamazoo. He's got his head gashed open here um, against Fort Wayne. That guy just is taking a beating and just keeps on and going. Keep on, yeah, he is the Energizer Bunny. Like he, he will take a licking. Well, you've been involved in hockey now 23 years, 1,500-plus games. Besides getting attacked by a bird in Bakersfield, <laughs> yeah. uh, what are some of your favorite stories, favorite memories from uh, from your time being involved in the sport so uh, far? Dangerous question to ask. Yeah. Yes. How, where are we? Are we on the PG-13? I'd say, we, yeah. Uh, I would say that's that probably where to keep that, it. Yeah. how high we can yeah. go? All right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because I want, I, it's all truly slapshot-esque. I have, think of those scenes and I have had something like that happen. I had a guy arrested in my locker room after practice. I had a guy arrested in my locker room after a game in Johnstown. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's about know. as close to slap shot as you can get. Uh, yeah, well, it was because when when it all went down, it truly was like that. So they knocked on the door. The police knocked on the door, and I opened the door. And I was just like, I opened it, and there was two cops. And I shut the door, and I turned around. And I said, hey, Stalzy, there's three of them out here for you. And he was just <laughs> like, let them in. <laughs> so it was – and they came in, and they were just like, all right, this is the way it's going to go. And we're like, well, what happened? So we found out what happened. It's just like – and he goes, it's, it's not going to be pretty because we got to wake the judge up. And we're like, okay, get the bail money ready and take him in the way it went. But it was just mm-hmm. like, it's a lot of those kind of stories. Um, I mean, then there's also the ones that just, you make you shake your head. Like there was a, there was a guy many, many years ago, we were playing a boxing day game in Huntsville when I was in, in, in Wichita in the Central League and that we left at midnight. That guy, Played and practiced with us up until that point. He had just found out his wife was pregnant, and he got he got released. He did not come on the trip with us. 
And I'm just like, Phew. wow, like life hits you right in the face mm-hmm. type of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, but, but like, a, like ones that I, if I tell, I started telling the stories other people would know and they know who I'm talking about. So it's like, even if I omit the names to protect the guilty, it's not going to matter. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, uh, there was, you know, the one time the, our coach brought his dog, they got a, the kids a puppy and brought it on the bus on a trip. And the dog's name was Wizard. You can only imagine why everyone on the low, but bu- <laughs> everyone on the low bunks got peed on type of thing. You know what I mean? And it was, uh, you know, like the bus that we that we traveled in in Greensboro was such a small little three five speed Prevo that it was so small we couldn't put gear underneath it. So the court manager and I drove a truck separately, and we drove to every we drove from Greensboro to Reading, and Green and did we go all the way to Florida that year. I think we did. We went all the way to Estero that year, and everywhere in between. South Carolina, the Roanoke, we just drove it. We went down. Charlotte was still in the coast back then, so we went to Charlotte. That was nice trips. But it was just like, you name it. We went to Atlantic City was in the league at that time. We went to Trenton. We went to uh, uh, Reading, all those kind of, like, all in the box truck. You know, it was just me and him. We'd switch off. We'd stop and eat at a Waffle House and switch off again. It was just one of those good times. And, like, he's another one of those guys that I could text right now. We could pick it right up. Where our, where our lives ended last time we talked and just go right from there. It's, it's one of those good things. But yeah, there was, you know, I don't even like the, I think the Greensboro year was, was a lot of, was a lot of fun. It's like a lot of slap, slap shot, slap stick type stuff. Like a lot of three stooges kind of things going on. Yep. Uh, You've been in Indy now. Uh, this is the fifth year of the franchise, your fifth year with the team. What have you enjoyed about being here specifically in Indy and uh, here with the fuel? Oh, I think it's the relationship that the hospital has with me and the organization. And the I, I don't want to seem too flippant, but it's like the the freedom I get to do what I need to do to make sure that the players have the access to the medical. Mm-hmm. Um but just, but it's just the support. Honestly, it's the support from our, our team medical director, Dr. Klutz, our lead orthopedist, Dr. Greg Estes, and all the other docs that help out from Dr. Evans and Dr. Apiafi, who are up in Kokomo, mm-hmm. to all the, all the other ones that help down here and all the new ones, like there's a Dr. Stevenson and Dr. DeFalco, new to the system, but they jumped right on board and took games. And all the other docs that have helped over the five years, because it can't just be poor Dr. Klutz here for 36 nights a year. He, mm-hmm. he would aid to be divorced way before this. You know what I mean? So it's just like, um, it's those other docs that are coming and they're willing to help and, and just put the best foot forward to help these guys stay healthy and, and, and have the organization succeed. The thing I really like to see, it's, it's cool being a part of is we talked about it like several times today but just the family nature of this team oh, absolutely where you look at the coaching staff like bernie is more of a, a reserve guy he he'll say his piece before practice or before a game they'll have their video sessions then they kind of retreat to their their coach's room over the time kind of the, the corridor outside your office and your office itself is almost like when they're not getting treatment it's like a social area so you're you're seeing the guys both when they need to get things checked out but Guys are just hanging out there, so 
Yeah, it much, just much to Bernie's that. chagrin. So <laughs> it was. It will be. Uh, you can say put this down. It was Robin Press that made the sign that it was a fifty dollars fine to hang out in the training room last year. So, so. he, Robin Press, That's, is the guy. Yes. That was actually my next question: Is in your time here, who has been the most high maintenance? Like you see him when you don't need to see him. That would be the answer, Robin Press, or no, 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 no. no. But just the guy. But no, Presser was was straight up uh, social. Yeah. Like he just wanted to come in. Like, and th- what it has been, uh, like for the best part or better part of three seasons, has been shells. He'll come in, and he'll he'll stretch, and we'll. But it'll just be, you know, him. That's what he's coming in to do his stretches or to be stretched out by one of my students, and and we just kind of, you know, have have a good time but it's we we were prepping we know what we're doing you know what i mean he knows what he's doing and if he needs a little bit to push him over the edge then that's what we need to do so he can get out there and you know get to that 40 point 30 goal plateau because he's that kind of player that needs to be there um i don't know i have to think of the your your high maintenance ones there's been a few over the years um, you can say the two e-bugs we have in the front office too. Those, <laughs> those are. Uh, so you want just from this year or my <laughs> just, entire career? Because there was a guy I had, I had in Greensboro, and I pretty much held him together with, uh, you know, bailing wire and duct tape, <laughs> and then he came with me or ended up going with me to Shreveport my first few years. Because so. I'm, I'm sure in every team there's guys where. You can't get him out of the training room. It's like you don't you don't need to see me right now. And there's guys where you're almost begging to like, no, seriously, like you need help. Don't just yeah, don't like. But that was the thing in my first year. In the first year here, I was, why I took the TV out of the training room because it was not going to be a lounge. It was going to be mm-hmm. a place where guys came in and in, and a place where guys can come in. And if I have to. Sh- shoo everyone else out so that this guy can talk with the doctor behind a closed door, then that's what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And like, and, and the guys understand that it's like, it's their, it's my, their only sanctuary where if it were a personal issue and the, and doc can, and needs to be, you know, I'll just shut the door and give it to him. You know what I mean? There's a lot of times where, you know, I hate to say a lot of times, but there's a, you know, concussion happens and we need to get everyone out of the room and I'll just do what I got to do in the hallway outside so that Doc can be closed in there with no distractions to get that player and make sure he is okay or obviously okay to come back or okay to not come back type of thing. So, so no, well, uh, it's okay, but uh, I was going to say thanks for joining us. It's been a really a, a fun conversation. and <laughs> Oh, uh, it, could have been, it could have been funner now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in, in a way as well to kind of peek behind the curtain and – for our fans and uh, the community to see what happens on a day-to-day basis uh, in the training room, in the dressing room uh, with these players on a day-to-day basis. I think that's new to everything now because the NHL has really pulled back the curtain. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, you know, like, uh, yeah, okay, it's Pierre, but there's someone behind between the benches mm-hmm. and there's someone in the back hallway and all that kind of stuff. I just, I just don't think I could really – get to on board like there's the nfl thing like i saw a couple in a couple playoff games like that cameraman followed that guy all the way back he was going just going back to get x-rays or something went all the way back down the tunnel and if i was that trainer i would have turned around and said beat it you know what i mean like it should stop right here is where Mm -hmm. you know where you need to go because i mean there are hipaa laws they're like you Mm -hmm. only get so far like if you're trying to speculate on what happened then just 
look at the injury, look at what happened on the field, on the ice, whatever, and speculate. You know, yeah, everyone wants to be that guy in 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 the know. You know what I mean? And sometimes that's not good because everyone guessing what happened to this guy and what it is that draws attention to guys like like players aren't dumb. Mm-hmm. Players will read a press release or players will read a look at a, a tweet or a a Facebook post or something like that. Oh, so and so is out with this. Oh well, or successful hand surgery done. Well, guess what? He's going to get a slash the next time I mm-hmm. see him. You know what I mean? And we're just trying to protect our players. Yeah, and that's why in hockey it's upper body and lower body, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're trying to protect guys because it's a physical sport and it's a sport where guys are carrying sticks. So it's easy uh, to target certain yeah. areas, mm-hmm. so especially behind the play. Mm-hmm. You know, with us still with the three man system and not having that back ref there, there's always that opportunity for something to happen mm-hmm. because he's following the puck he's got to be with the play and mm-hmm. linesmen aren't aren't always on top of they can call something if it's not a major you know what i mean so well i want to thank you for joining us it's been a fun conversation thank you guys for having me and it's been a, a good opportunity to take a another peek under the hood with the indie fuel got a home game coming up on Friday, February 8th, against the Kalamazoo Wings, it's Hockey for Indy Night. You can get your tickets at IndieFuelHockey.com and also here at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum box office. It's also a 2-3-1-7 night on Friday. Then it's to the road for five straight games. Back later on in the month, you got a Tuesday home game against Kalamazoo, or excuse me, against Wichita. Uh, it's uh, Education Day, so a morning game. And then on Saturday, the 23rd, want to let everybody know that Saturday game against Wichita, 6.05 start time. We've had a change to the start time, so make sure you're here a little earlier than normal on a Saturday night for that one. So a lot of hockey coming up, Brent, as we've got uh, a number of road games, but uh, then uh, that'll set the stage for a home stretch where the few are going to be home for most of March and April. And it's nice if uh, we mentioned it a couple weeks ago. This is a stretch where you just want to take care of your business on the road. And if you put yourself in a good spot in the standings, you're playing a lot of home games here in March and April. And as we saw last year, um, that's when you want to be playing your best. And if you can go on a run late in the season, you're going to put yourself in a really good position to, to not just make the playoffs like the field did last year, but put yourself in contention for one of those top two seeds in the division. And as We've seen time and time again this season that any team can beat any team in the Central Division. So um, even Cincinnati and Toledo, they've, they've got their a nice lead in the standings, but it's not like a team can't catch them if they go on a run here down the second half. So um, every game is huge, and it starts this weekend with 3-3 uh, three and three starting Friday at home. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you here at the rink on Friday night. And keep following us on IndieFuelHockey.com and, of course, on social media at IndieFuel as well, as Brent does a great job of keeping you up to date there. And, of course, broadcast of all home games as well on IndieFuelHockey.com slash radio. want to thank George Bullock, Jr., our athletic trainer, for joining us for the last hour. And for Brent Hollerud, I am Andrew Smith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the rink. Thanks for going under the hood with the Indie Fuel. For more, keep visiting IndieFuelHockey.com.